Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here, and I got to meet a lot of guests that are here with us. If you didn't get a candle, then uh, now would be a great time to make your way to uh, or hold up a hand. I think we got some people back there that could probably help you get some candles. Um, this is the warning we're using real fire, so uh, parents, you're responsible for your children. But there will be real fire at the end of the show. No. Um, <clears throat> We are so excited to be able to do a candlelight. I know for many of you, just like it is for me, there's so many memories connected to this and, uh, and just being able to sing Christmas songs to our Savior with the family, with the collective body of Christ. And so looking forward to that at the end of the service. And so you'll be needing those. We're also going to be taking the Lord's Supper today. And so um, if you're a guest with us, then we want to welcome you to participate in that. I would say that the Lord's Supper is a symbol that, that is a, a symbol of what Christ has done for us. It's a way of remembering. And so if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then I would invite you to participate in that with us. If you're not, or if that's something you haven't done, or you're still walking that journey and questions about that, then you can just let that pass by you whenever the ushers come and pass that. It won't be awkward for anybody. And so that's just um, something so that you can anticipate what's coming. And so I'll walk us through that, but it's going to be a sweet time of family just taking the Lord's Supper together. Um, today we're taking a pause from the book of Mark. We've been walking through the book of Mark together, but we're going to take a pause out of that to celebrate Christmas. And so we're going to be in Isaiah 9. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there, Isaiah 9, 6. And then that's going to kind of catch us up from some of the Christmas story. And then where we're going is actually into Titus, which is not necessarily a Christmas message. But I love what it does because Isaiah gives us a picture of who Christ would be when he came. And then Titus looks back at what Christ did when he came. And so we get both these perspectives and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, which is Christ with his disciples. And so we're going to get the before, the after, and then as he was with his disciples all today. And so this really is just a time that we want to turn our gaze and focus on Christ. There's a lot of things going on and a lot of uh, distractions among us, but uh, we just want to pause and if I could accomplish anything today, it would be that we might hold Jesus up and see the beauty of what he came to do for us. And that in that, we would worship him. That's what he came for, is that we might worship him because he's worthy of it. Would you pray with me? And then we'll jump into our text today. God, we thank you for just an opportunity together with families. I love just seeing families packed in and, and even people sitting right next to each other, all the chairs filled as we just get to gather together, um, Lord. And so we thank you for just the season of celebration, the season of um, just focusing on your son. Lord, we pray that uh, this morning as we look at your word, that it might um, open our eyes, open our ears in order that we might see you clearly, in order that we might behold your wonder and your beauty in order that we might worship you. Lord, so would you be with us this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's look at our text in Isaiah. It's a text that you've probably heard over and over and over. And so Isaiah chapter nine, we're just gonna look at verse six. And, and I think it's important for us that 
Isaiah is a prophet, and so God spoke to Isaiah, and then Isaiah was speaking to the people. And so God is speaking to his people through this prophet, and this is what God is telling his people. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. Now, I emphasize the us in there because Jesus coming to earth is purposeful for us. That's why God would send his son to be born of a virgin, to be born in Bethlehem, to be born in the manger for us. And so the intent for which Isaiah is speaking, that there's a son going to be born for the purpose of God's people, for to us a son will be born, and to us a son will be given. And look at what it says about this one who would be born. He will have the government rest upon his shoulders. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That in this anticipation, we've been lighting the Advent candles in anticipation of Christ, and Isaiah spoke, and the people would have been anticipating. Who is this son? Who is this child that would be given to us? Well, he's going to have the government rest upon his shoulders. He's going to be able to bear the weight and the authority of all things. That, that his name will be Wonderful Counselor. I think it's just helpful for us to anticipate what is it that this one would be? Well, he would be all wise. He would have all wisdom and that he would be a counselor to come alongside us and comfort us. That he would be mighty God, God himself. That he would be fully human and fully God. That he would be God. That he would have all authority and all power that he would be the one who could say, your sins are forgiven. That he would be an everlasting father, that his reign and his rule would be eternal. That there would be no end to him, but that word father is important for us as well. That he would be one who would provide and protect. That he would be one who would comfort and encourage. That he would also be the prince of peace. And as we talked about with the Advent, that this peace doesn't mean without conflict, but it means that he speaks into that conflict and he brings resolution. That he would be the one who would usher in true peace. And so the world waited. Every time a child was born, is it him? Is this the one? Is this the one to whom we have been promised? And so Isaiah, there were generation after generation after generation of anticipation of this one who would come, who would be the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. If you'll flip over to Titus with me, we're going to pick up on what Titus says Jesus did. You see, it's one thing, and that maybe you can relate to this, that, that maybe you've had a lot of really good intentions this Christmas season, that you've, you've intended to get a lot of things done. Maybe it was shopping that you intended to get done. Maybe it was baking some cookies that you intended to get done. Maybe it was Christmas cards that you intended to get done. Those make great New Year's cards, right? That there's a lot of intentions that we have, 
But those intentions don't mean a whole lot unless there's actually fulfillment of them. And so what we get to see in Titus is that Isaiah prophesied it would come. And then Titus looks back and gets to show us what Christ did. That, that in Jesus coming for us, there was a purpose in which he came. And that purpose for which he came was to save us. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the gift of a savior. The gift of a savior. And what I want to do is I want to pull out these different nuances of it. I was, I was looking at this text. I remember getting a Christmas present from my brother. I'm the youngest and some of y'all have older brothers. And so you know what it was like for me right? You know that you were, you had a lot of pranks pulled on you. And I remember Christmas one time I got this big gift and inside that gift, as I unwrapped it, there was another box. Some of y'all know where this is going because you've done it. Some of y'all did it this year, right? Inside that box was another box and inside that box was another box and another box and another box. And, and ultimately there was this gift inside I think it was a fishing lure or something. It was about that big. The box started out this big, right? It just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. But, but as I was looking at this text, I, I felt like what Titus is doing is he's saying, like, God came to save us. And then he's going to go a little bit inside, maybe, maybe less like the Christmas present, more like those nesting dolls that, oh, you get another one inside that, right? Like a, a little better nuance, a little different picture, a little different image of the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us. And so I'm gonna give us four different aspects of the salvation that Jesus purchased for us as we walk through this text. Look with me at verse four of Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, verse four. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. I just love the intro of that because Titus is talking about Christmas. That when all of the goodness and loving kindness of God, when it, when it showed up, you know how it showed up? As a little baby in the manger. That all of God's goodness came to a point. All of his loving kindness came to a point that we would get to see it and behold it in Jesus. The fullness of God in human form in a baby. So when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now let's pick up on that title that he's given. That he's been given the title of Savior. And so it shouldn't be shocking for us that verse 5 starts. When, when he appeared then he saved us. That's the intent for which Jesus came was to save us. He came to rescue us. He came with a gift of salvation. And so as Titus unpacks this reality, as we peel back layer after layer of what is this salvation that we've been given, I just want you to marvel at the different nuances, to think anew about these. The first is, is we see that this salvation is brought about by the mercy of God. The salvation that Jesus brought comes forth out of the mercy of God. Look at verse five. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
y'all have been utilizing, if you have children, that there's two different lists. There's a naughty one and there's a nice one, right? You've been utilizing this all year. Like, be good, be good. What the scripture tells us is that all of us are on the naughty list. That all of us have gone astray. That all of us have sinned and departed from God's plan. That we've chosen our own ways rather than God's. That we've wanted to be our own boss rather than to submit to a savior. And so Titus tells us that this mercy of God, it came about not because of anything we did. It wasn't because of any work that you did that God says, ah, a lot of potential right there. It wasn't because of anything that you did that God said, ooh, now I'm in your debt. Okay, I'll save you. It wasn't because of any works done by us that God saved us, but according to his own mercy. Maybe we might lay it out like this. If we think of pros and cons. If God's up there going, well, let me, let me walk through a pros and cons of should I save them? The cons list might sound something like this if you'll back up to verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish. Okay, they're foolish. They're disobedient. They're led astray. They're slaves to various passions and pleasures. They're, they're passing their days with malice and envy. That's doing evil things and wishing evil things. They're, they're hated by others and they're hating one another. There's a whole list of reasons why God should have been like, I'm done with you guys. Sinful people rejecting me, rebellious, treacherous, evil people. And then we get to the prose side of why should God save us? And, and if we're honest with ourselves, and as Titus says, we don't have anything to put there. Nothing that we've done measures up. But God simply wrote, my mercy, my goodness, my love. That the reason in which God moved to rescue us, to save us, is purely based off of his character of loving kindness his character of mercy, that he would bestow upon us something that we did not deserve. Jesus came into the world to save sinners purely out of the mercy of God. That it was because of his own mercy. But the second nuance that I want us to see here is that, that when he saves us based on his mercy, then he doesn't leave us there. Look at it by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That God renews us. So this second aspect of salvation is renewal. That the scripture tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. That the scripture tells us that, that we were once dead and we've been brought to life. The scripture tells us in John that, that we have to be born again. That we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. We need to be made new. I love thinking through this aspect because it's in this reality 
that we can trust that God is at work doing that. Because I don't know if you're like me, but maybe sometimes you don't feel new. Maybe you don't feel squeaky clean. But God is at work making us new, renewing us and washing us by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite passages comes in Corinthians and it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. That, that we have a past life that used to be our identity, but because of the baby that came in a manger for us, to save us, to wash us, we have been made new. The second aspect is renewal. That God is at work making us new. Regeneration, renewal. I, I have a botany degree and it's not super productive, right? Like what do you do with a botany degree? Well, one aspect is this idea of regeneration is that you've probably done this. You had some sort of weed or tree that you cut down and you thought it's gone. And then... There was some regeneration that came to life. That the old is gone, but behold, the new has come. And that is what our salvation brings. This is the reality that, that when you come to Christ, you can't stay the same. Because God has made you new by his spirit and there will be new passions. There will be new desires. There will be a new focus in order to please him. The third aspect that I want us to see is justification. So we've seen that, that in this salvation, it's based off of God's mercy. God brings about new life in us and renewal. And then third, we see that he justifies us. This comes out of verse seven. It says, he's poured out this newness in us richly through Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That, that this justification, this is a legal word. It's been used legally throughout all of the scripture and it really came alive in the Reformation. This idea of what does it mean to have a legal standing before God? Our relationship with God isn't just legal, it's relational. God wants to be in relationship with us, but, but it's helpful for us to understand that God is a just God that God must punish sin in order for him to remain just. And so for us who are sinful people, how does God save us and yet still be just? The scripture tells us that he's the just and the justifier, that it's through the justification of Christ that we can be made right. This, this word, it might be understood, maybe you've heard it described like this, that justification, what Christ did for us is that he made it just as if I'd never sinned. That he cancels our decree of debt, as Colossians tells us, that, that Jesus has paid the cost in order that God can be just. But that might leave us in some misunderstanding of how God looks at us, that well, yeah, you're a burden. I had to pay it because I'm responsible for you. But justified has another aspect to it. It's not just that he paid it for us, but that he credits us his righteousness. And so it's just as if I'd always obeyed him perfectly. 
that because of this baby who came to earth, the fullness of God appeared. That we can stand before a holy and just God and not be condemned. But not just not be condemned, to be welcomed in. You see, it's right here that then he, he moves quickly through this justification so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. It's not just that he paid the price for us, but that he adopted us into his family, heirs according to the hope of eternal life, that we've been brought in as family. The last aspect of salvation that I want us to just think through is hope. That in being brought in as the family of God, adopted in, beloved, that we have hope. That everything that we see in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension to the right hand of the Father, that those things are all ours in Christ. That that's the hope that we have, that we have the hope of eternal life. That just as sure as the appearance of Christ was in the manger is the assurance of our dwelling with Christ for eternity. That we see in this salvation, this Christmas story that Christ brings about, salvation for us, an unpacking of God's mercy, a bringing about renewal in our life full legal classification that we are justified, not condemned, and that we have a hope of eternal life to dwell with him. It's in this Christmas story that, that we live the rest of the year. It's not just at Christmas that we, we get to experience these things, but for some of us, then we go, well, that sounds great. How do I get it? Who is that for? Who was this promise to? And we all have to answer this question. I want to back up to Titus 2, verse 11. If you just look up a few verses, Titus tells us who this promise was for. Titus tells us who Jesus came and appeared for. And verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That, that this promise was for all who would receive it. This promise was for all that might confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes might have everlasting life. That this message of salvation can be yours if you would trust in Jesus today. Maybe you've done that and it's like years past. And just like this season of Christmas, I don't know if you hang Christmas ornaments on the tree and you, you reflect back. You remember those things. And you, you see them afresh. You're reminded of the uniqueness of it. And that's what Titus has done for us today. Is he's reminded us of this salvation that's ours in Christ in order that we might not forget because this salvation changes everything. 
if you're here and you haven't experienced that, the person you came with, or there'll be some pastors up here or, or someone else in this room, the best Christmas present you could give them is just to ask them about it. Hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. Can you tell me or help me to figure out a relationship with Jesus? We would love nothing more than to do that, to have that conversation. It may feel awkward for you. It won't be for them. It would be the greatest joy that they could ever have. But this message is one that each one of us has to embrace in order to experience the realities of what Christ has accomplished for us. There's another reminder that we're going to partake of, and it's the Lord's Supper. So I want to ask the men to come down that are going to help me serve this. Jesus, when he was sitting with his disciples, then, then they gathered for a meal that was called the Passover. And this was a, a meal that had been instituted for the people of God that reminded them of when God had passed over judging them because of the blood of a lamb. That, that they instituted this meal as a way of reminding them, as a way of remembrance in order that they might not forget. And so Jesus was taking this with his disciples and, and as they gathered together, then he, he had some bread and he had a cup and he, he passed it out. And then he told them that this meal was going to be the new reminder. It was gonna be the reminder that he was the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. That he was the one who showed up as a baby in a manger in order to accomplish salvation for us. In order to reconcile us and redeem us back to himself. In order that we might have a relationship with God. And so he instituted this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And it's one that we get to have, but I love that Luke records for us that when he gathered together, it said he earnestly desired to have this meal with his people. That God earnestly desires to meet with you. And so as these elements are passed out, I just wanna encourage you that as you get them, you can just hold on to them. We'll take them all together. But, but just to think, this is a reminder that God earnestly desires to communicate. He wants that. And that he accomplished that through sending his son.